Welcome to the Trailer Cast with Elise Snipes. Each week, I will be sharing with you from inside my vintage trailer where I work as a therapist and share some of my musings on the human experience. I am endlessly fascinated and inspired by people. I love being a therapist and I'm deeply grateful for the intimate and beautiful work I get to do. I believe we are wildly capable of healing and making this world a better place, and this is my attempt at doing that. Sharing beauty to invoke beauty. May you find yourself inside these stories and ponderings and be better for it. Cheers. On this episode, I tell you what it is really like being a therapist, at least from where I sit. Much of the reason I had considered starting TrailerCast in the first place was to help illuminate what therapy is and what it is not, or what being a therapist is and what it is not. There's no way I could possibly fit all my stories into this moment, so let me tell you two of my top faves. My all-time most TMI moment when someone found out I was a therapist. While I was in grad school and working as a therapist intern, I was also a server at an amazing restaurant in town. One of my tables was chatting me up and asking what my life was like outside of the restaurant. So when I told her I was getting my master's degree in counseling psychology and working as a therapist during the day, she proceeded to launch into the story about her best friend's son, who whenever he came over to their house, sneaks up to her bedroom and steals a pair of her underwear. Oh my God, what? Why am I hearing this? She proceeded to tell me countless instances where her friend was mortified each time she had to return a pair of underwear and where she would find them and what her son was doing with them. Why is she telling me this? She then turns to me deadpan and says, What do you think is wrong with him? What would you diagnose him with? How about confused? That's not a psychiatric diagnosis, because believe it or not, we don't diagnose people we have never met and only hear about their fetishes from their mom's drunk friend in a bar. So there's that. I do think people are fascinated by diagnosis and fitting things or people into boxes. Maybe by understanding what is wrong, then we won't feel so crazy. Or maybe we think we might gain some sort of mastery over the relationship. I also think we are curious as people and we want to understand things and people that are different from us. And so we seek to explain away the tension of different with a diagnosis. The process of diagnosis is a part of therapy and it can be a useful resource for treatment planning. But it is really more of a process than a product a way to narrow or focus the route of healing, but it is definitely not the result. Therapy isn't just calling people things, depressed, anxious, obsessed. No, we can gather history and experiences, symptoms, observations. This really just helps us know what we're not. And when you think about it, the narrowing work of this process shows you all the things you maybe were afraid you are and now you know you aren't. At best, it helps you see there is an explanation for what you have been feeling. And this explanation is a sigh of relief. It's not all in your head. You don't have to wonder or suffer alone. We can call it something and take care of it. Most importantly, remember that the it is not you. You are not your diagnosis. 
You are not a cluster of symptoms translated into a code. Sure, you might have a diagnosis or depression, but you are not depression. You are affected by this collection of feelings, but it is not who you are. I mentioned last time I have been paralyzed twice. The first time I was in college, I had just started dating Jesse, my now husband. I had some low-grade back pain and this tingling that went into my legs. I didn't really think too much of it. I noticed it was there, but I had things to do, and so I just kind of kept on going. But by the end of the first week, I was having difficulty standing up for very long. And if I wasn't specifically focusing on keeping myself standing, if I got like distracted, I would drop to the ground. My roommates were freaking out more than I was and dragged me to the college health department. There, they diagnosed me with a probably kidney infection and prescribed antibiotics, pain relievers, and sent me home to rest. But instead of getting better, I just kept disintegrating. I needed help walking. I couldn't feel my feet anymore. My roommates took me to the hospital this time and told the ER doctor everything that was going on. More tests. They poked my feet and legs with pins and took blood. Everything came back inconclusive. They went with the previous diagnosis of kidney infection, even though there were no symptoms of the infection now. They figured that the antibiotics were doing their job and that I just needed more time. So we went back home. By this time, the pain in my lower back was pretty intense. I couldn't feel my feet or my legs, and I definitely had lost muscle control and gross motor skill. I was trying to get to class one day, and I started laughing, and I just collapsed, and I couldn't get back up. I was coming to terms that something was pretty significantly wrong at this point, and I agreed to go back to the hospital. We went to a different ER this time and gave them the rundown. This time, when they pricked the bottom of my feet and tested for reflexes, there was nothing there. No response. They did a spinal tap, an MRI, a head CT, and put me in a room, and finally it felt like someone was taking this seriously. Like we were getting somewhere. Like there might be an explanation for what was happening. A diagnosis. Mind you, at this point, I am really scared. I am completely paralyzed from the waist down. I can't move on my own. I have to push a button for a nurse to come help me transfer from my hospital bed to a wheelchair to go to the bathroom. I'm completely at the mercy of those around me. It was dark. And I didn't really grasp the severity of what was going on or what this might mean for my future. The doctor finally came back with some results from all the testing. Transverse myelitis. I was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disorder where my immune system was attacking my nervous system in my spinal cord. Technically, it's in the myelin sheath around the spinal cord, and I was paralyzed from that infection site down. They informed me that I would never walk again. They started multiple rounds of IV corticosteroids, antibiotics, and pain medication. They transitioned me after a week in the hospital to an aftercare unit where I would learn how to live my life in a wheelchair, learn how to transfer safely from my bed to my wheelchair, how to get dressed, how to basically not be me anymore. I called Jesse and tried to break up with him. I couldn't stomach thinking about him having to take care of me. I had to drop out of college with a maybe contingency that I could resume next semester if I felt up to it. So let me tell you the end of the story. 
While I was living in an intensive inpatient facility, I had physical therapy and occupational therapy every day. And during one of my physical therapy sessions, they were trying to help me wiggle my left toes. It was infuriating, trying and with everything within me to do something so simple, something I'd been doing for most of my life without any effort at all. I would go away from these sessions exhausted, depressed, and completely locked inside myself. One session, I felt this zap of electricity shoot down my spine, down my legs, and into my toes, and they jolted. My toes actually moved. I wasn't sure if I did that or if it was just a spastic motion. So we kept at it, and I was eventually able to get my toes to respond most of the time. I have never felt more accomplished in my life to date. I freaking did it. Long short of it, I very slowly regained my ability to coordinate movement and muscle control. I spent months learning how to walk, and I did it. I overcame the odds of my diagnosis. I will tell you all the life lessons I learned during that time on another episode, but for now, I want you to see how essential diagnosis was for me. I was terrified, not knowing what was wrong with me. I had very obvious symptoms, like not being able to walk, but the symptom was just evidence that something even bigger was going on. The problem wasn't paralyzation. It was transverse myelitis. Without this diagnosis, there would not have been correct protocols for treatment, prognosis, or appropriate care. This rare and albeit bizarre diagnosis gave me a way forward. It made me feel like there was a plan, like there was someone who knew about this and even better, knew what to do about it. Side note, transverse myelitis was featured on House that exact same week I was diagnosed. Diagnosis can be securing, relieving, knowing what it is. Diagnosis also helps us know what it is not, what we are not, or who we are not. I had this sweet 14-year-old girl in my office, and her dad had pretty extreme bipolar disorder. She had had several bouts of depression, and every time she dipped, she feared losing her mind, she feared having bipolar disorder, feared becoming her father. So I broke all the rules and I got out the DSM, that's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that we use, and we looked up all the symptom requirements for a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, and then we compared her symptoms. We found what I knew we would. She didn't meet the criteria. But, you know, she needed to see it in black and white. She needed to know it wasn't only my opinion or my hope for her, but a factual not-diagnosis. Such sweet relief this process afforded her. A few years ago, I had a young mom in my office. She was really going through it, as all young moms can attest. (laughs) After several months of working together, monitoring her symptoms, I kind of just brushed her by the thought that she seems to be struggling with some pretty intense anxiety. She looked at me, and a single crocodile tear trickled down her cheek. She sighed a deep sigh and asked me, Do you really think so? I kept going, explaining that the symptoms she has are congruent to anxiety really affecting her. Not that she was anxiety, but that anxiety was rearing its obsessive head pretty often, making her feel off, not herself. To my surprise, she laughed 
that, like, that deep laughter of disbelief mixed with gratitude. She went on to explain that she has felt crazy. And then she would cycle into shame and guilt because she felt like she should be able to handle this. Her diagnosis was relieving, validating, hopeful because she felt confirmation that there was in fact something going on and that it wasn't her failing or being a bad mom. Diagnosis definitely has a role in therapy, an appropriate life-giving role. It's just not the main gig. So one of my other most intense interactions I've had regarding being a therapist happened at the dentist's office. I show up to my hygiene appointment, shamelessly aware that I hadn't flossed since the last time I had been there. And I see the sweet, sunny, blonde lady walking towards me, and I think, well, she looks friendly. This should be okay. She walks me back to her chair, making small talk, and I get that paper towel clipped around my neck. The chair leans back, and she asks me what I do. And there's this moment where I think, gosh, do I tell her, or do I just make something up? In that last second, I thought, well, I only see her every six months, so what's the big deal? I'm a therapist, I answer. I knew it. I just knew it, she exclaimed. Um, what? I'm wearing, like, torn jeans and a gray t-shirt. What about me looks like a therapist? I'm utterly confused and also immediately regretting my decision. She launches in. I've been going through the worst time with my ex-husband. You know, he cheated on me with our babysitter. What do you think that says about him anyways? So now I'm dating this new guy, but he doesn't want to pay for dinner. And so I do, but I'm not made of money. And you know, my son, my son, I think he has ADHD. Do you think he does? I mean, he literally never stops fidgeting. Isn't that one of the signs or something? Or is that Asperger's? Is that the same thing? Mind you, her hands are in my mouth with sharp tools. I have drool running down my chin and onto that plastic napkin. She hasn't even taken a breath, and she is hovering over me, pouring all her problems into my mouth. She didn't stop talking until the appointment was over, like she didn't breathe. She would ask me questions intermittently and then did not even pause for a possible response, just kept scraping away and poking and jabbing and dumping. Not gonna lie, it was totally overwhelming. The immediacy of her problems, feeling like I couldn't escape or get out from under them, I thought, I wonder if that's how she feels. Flooded. Full. Chaotic. Needless to say, I did the only logical thing I could do. I switched to dentists. The misconception I experienced here was that therapy is when one person dumps and one person is a blank slate just nodding until the time is up. I have had clients tell me that they have had therapists not say a single word during therapy or even fall asleep during session. What a disappointment. Therapy is dialogue. It is listening with all your senses. Hearing what the other person is saying, sometimes more importantly what they're not saying. Holding what you know of their past. And on the other hand, holding any discrepancy, paying attention to gaps, themes, patterns. And then it is the somewhat amoebic process of reflecting, observing, reframing, highlighting, untangling, so that amoeba becomes a solid object that we can hold and look at from different angles and and make sense of and decide what to do with. Now that we see what that ambiguous thing was, do we want to ditch it? Realizing that it wasn't serving you, it was some old thing from your past keeping you stuck. Or do we plant it? 
seeing that this blurry object was a truth we needed to mine, and now we want to bury it deep within so it can grow into a life-giving tree bearing fruit of truth and identity. Therapy is dialogue, not a one-sided dumping ground. The other responses I've gotten in rapid-fire fashion go like this. Oh, is it hard for you to turn it off? Like, do you just analyze everyone all the time? I wish my mother was here so you could diagnose her. My husband cheated on me. Should I leave him? I think my neighbor's son is autistic. I'm 26 and I haven't met anyone yet. Will I be a crazy cat lady? It's as if people think therapists are some hybrid judgmental fortune teller magic eight ball all rolled into one. But really, these misconceptions still surprise me. Doesn't everyone go to therapy? (laughs) It really is such a hidden profession. It is literally confidential. It is private. And there is usually some stigma about what it means if you do go. Unless, of course, you were my sweet nine-year-old client. When I saw her in this other context, probably at the movies or Costco or something, she looked at her friends and excitedly announced to everyone in earshot, that's my therapist, and then ran over to hug me. I wish everyone could feel as carefree or almost as carefree as she was, at least natural about it. I really want to take the sting out of this, take the shame out. I want to tell you what it is like, at least for me, being a therapist. Now it is magic, but not the eight ball kind, more the lion witch in the wardrobe kind. The magic of two people, two souls holding one space and time together and honoring all that has been experienced, learning to hold both the depth of tragedy and the zenith of triumph, getting to watch people right before my eyes come to truth for the first time, see themselves for the first time as something other than how they have always known themselves. Sometimes this previous knowing is horrifying. Unimaginable abuse, stories I can't erase. And sometimes it is less the big bad and more the subtle shifts of perspective, distance from that thing, grace. I am simultaneously an observer and a character in the narrative. I am equally a learner, and yet I also possess knowledge, experience, and hope. I often feel like a great container, maybe more like a safe, holding people's stories and secrets, valuables, treasuring their process and also the product, storing their transformation, their awakening. I feel so thankful to get to receive these moments. It feels timeless when we're in it when in one moment I can see how my own suffering has allowed me to enter into this moment, the same moment, and speak peace, comfort, and hope, or just make space for what it is. It is this collision of happenings, of births and deaths, but all of it good, all of it leading to the fullest sense of true and real. It's magic. Sometimes being a therapist means I hear things I wish I could unhear. But really, I wish I could undo it from time, make that hurt never exist in the first place, so there would be nothing to undo. But I can't. And neither can they. And so we learn how to sit in it together. And this sitting, this weeping, it gives way to something else. The thing is, most people don't make it this far. 
They stop before it shifts. And it does. It always does. There is always something beyond the pain. So we sit and watch the flow of tears become the water that makes flowers bloom out of season. Sometimes being a therapist means I get to hold people's firsts, their pregnancy they haven't told anyone about after years of infertility, their coming out, their freedoms and victories and sweet joys. Sometimes they bring their babies in, and I get to see the perfect, precious little beans and know that their mamas are going to do so good for them. Or they bring their puppies to show me, and even once a hamster, and I get to see how good they are at taking care of others too. I get to hold it all, and it is precious to me. Yes, sometimes therapy includes diagnosis, but this isn't the point or the end. It might be the name for something or the cluster of symptoms or a way to recognize a way forward in treatment, but it isn't the thing. And it never happens for someone that isn't in the room, say, for instance, someone's best friend's son or someone's neighbor. Yes, being a therapist can be lonely, because I do the work alone and no one really gets to see it, unless you're the one on the couch, of course. I think for me, there are times I want to share it with people so they can see how good it can be, how normal it can be, how freeing and fun and real it can be. Hence me sitting here now reflecting on all these things and sharing them with you. So what do you think? Is it what you thought? If you were sitting here with me in this trailer on this very couch, What else would you want to know? What would you want to talk about? Is there something you want to explore within yourself? Anything you want feedback on or a different take on something? Is there a pain, a loss, a joy, a resonance you want to share? If you were here, I would invite you to be, to make yourself comfortable. I would welcome all the parts of you the parts you live out of all the time, the ones you hide, the ones you cut off in childhood, the ones you haven't even lived into yet. And I would ask you, where do you want to begin? Thanks for listening. To connect with me, suggest a topic for the show, or ask a question from your own life you would like to have answered, email me at elise at trailercast.com, E-L-Y-S-E at trailercast.com. You can also see more on the TrailerCast website or follow me on Instagram at TrailerCast, where you can watch the renovation of my vintage mobile office and see more from behind the scenes. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends. 